Good morning, everybody. I am Ryan. Um, my wife, Kate, and I have the pleasure, the honor, and the joy of leading this church. Um, so, and it's so good to see you guys all here. Uh, I'm going to look around and see everybody while I get this stand to come up a little bit. You know, if you take communion and you can make it last about 40 minutes, I think you can. Just eating, right? So, I'm kidding, making jokes. Okay, sorry. I love that you guys come, even having to wear masks. It's just such a gift to be able to be together. And I know it is not everyone's preference. I know it is not everyone's joy, but to be able to say community is more meaningful to me in this moment and being together um, than, than this particular thing that we have to deal with, uh, it just is so powerful for, you, for everybody to be here. So thank you guys. Um, all right, so we are in Joseph, continuing to be in Genesis. If you guys want to turn to Genesis 40 and 41, I know you've been reading through this, and if you haven't been reading through it, my encouragement to you is that you would be, that you would be spending time as we're in this passage of Scripture together, that you would be looking at these, uh, at these places that we're walking through in the, in the life of, of Joseph. Um, and what we're going to look at today is we have been through his entire journey. And today we're going to talk about his restoration from that place of being in prison to the place of being in the palace, to being restored to his dream and to the things that he knew that God had put in his heart were there for him. And how did he walk into those things so well? And I think that's a good word for us because we are believing, praying, and seeing things beginning to shift. And we are going to be called to step out of this season that we're in into another season, into a season that's ahead of us. And we need to be ready to step into it with life. We we need to be ready to step into it with the fullness of what God has for us. We need to be ready to step into it with the energy of heaven behind us and that we wouldn't be coming into it just dragging our feet and go, oh, well, I guess uh, give, me a, give me a few months to get used to this because when God says it's time to move, we need to be ready. And Joseph did it so well. He walked into this fulfillment and he walked into this reality of saying, I have prophetic dreams that were given to me when I was 17 years old and I've been waiting and here I am 30 years old and and I'm seeing them beginning to come to pass. And he walked into that. And so the main thing, I'm going to give you my entire message right now. If you want to leave, you can. I won't take it personally. But I'm going to give you the main thing right up front. Great, great uh, public speaking uh, technique right here for you guys. The only reason that he was able to walk out of the season of prison into that season in the palace was because he remained connected to God so powerfully and so profoundly and remained available to God throughout every step of his journey. And so that's the main thing that I want us to see and want us to unpack from Joseph's life. And so let's go through this passage of scripture really quick, looking at Genesis 40 and 41 to give us some of the context for this. Um, in Genesis 40, Drew covered this last week. He interprets the dream of the baker and the cupbearer. So if you remember, Joseph ends up in prison for doing the right thing. With Potiphar's wife, he resisted temptation. Because he resisted temptation, he was accused of something he didn't do. He was thrown into prison, and he ended up in prison for years. And being in prison, he ran into the, uh, the king's baker and the king's cupbearer. And these two men had a dream, different dreams. They had dreams on the same night. And they told Joseph about these dreams, and he interpreted them 
for these men. And so that kind of starts his journey in prison, is, is meeting these men, being put into a position of authority, meeting these men, and then interpreting the dreams that they had. That's, that's Genesis 40. And then in Genesis 41, one of the men goes on, one of the dreams was good, one of the dreams was bad. Read it for yourself, it's great. It's not great, it's terrible. Um, but one of the dreams was good, one of it was bad. And one of the men, when Pharaoh later on has a dream, the king, he comes out of prison, he's serving Pharaoh, and, the, and he has a dream and, and no one can interpret it. And this man goes, wait, I know a guy, I know a guy who is in prison who could possibly interpret this dream for you. We need to go get Joseph. And so they bring Joseph out. And so Joseph interprets this dream for Pharaoh in Genesis 41. And the dream is basically this, that there was going to be seven years of plenty in Egypt, and then there was going to be seven years of famine. And, and, and Joseph honored Pharaoh by saying, God has told you this so that you can be prepared for what's ahead. And so he interprets this dream for him, and he gives him, and then he goes on in, in Genesis 41 to give Pharaoh wisdom. He says, here's what you should do. Here, here's, the, here's what I believe that you should do. You should put someone in charge to be able to collect all of these years of plenty and be able to put them into the storehouses so that as the famine comes and those next seven years are difficult, there will be plenty of, uh, of grain and, and other resources in the warehouses, in the storehouses of Egypt. And so he, he interprets this dream and then he offers Pharaoh some wisdom. And then in, 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 in chapter 41, verse 41 through 42, you see this moment where Pharaoh looks around at his advisors and he goes, is there anybody else that would be better suited for what Joseph just told us we need? Someone who hears God can interpret dreams and has this kind of wisdom who could be in charge of this, this seven years of plenty for us. And, and, and no one says, I don't, I, don't, I don't think it would be a good idea. Everyone says, yeah, this guy's great. And so he, so he brings Joseph from prison and Joseph interprets the dream, gives him wisdom, and then in that moment, he restores him, not only out of prison, doesn't only restore his freedom, but he gives him a greater degree of opportunity and a greater degree of influence. And he goes like this. He puts a ring on his finger. He puts a robe back on his back, and he gives him a necklace and a chariot, and he says, you are now second in command of all of Egypt. Anywhere you go, people are going to bow down to you. Now, for those that have been with us, you remember looking at Genesis earlier when the dream that Joseph had when he was 17 years old was that he would be brought to a position where his family and even nations represented by the stars would bow down before Joseph. So what you see in this moment, I think there's this degree of that, that a couple things. One, the restoration of his, of his robe. He had the, the, the coat of many colors. It was torn off of him. He had that coat that he was wearing when he was, when he was fleeing from Potiphar's wife. It was torn off of him. And now you see this moment where that is restored to him in a place of honor and a place of rec recognition. You also have that prodigal son, that prodigal story where coming home to the father, you see the robe and you see the ring and you see the party being thrown. And you see this, these reflections of that heart of God, of what it looks like in this story of Joseph. And then you see this bowing down that was to take place. And the dreams being fulfilled. In Genesis 41, 43, Pharaoh made people bow down to Joseph wherever he went. This was the beginning of the fulfillment of the dream that Joseph had. 
I was wondering if this is how, in any way, if this is how Joseph would have envisioned this dream being fulfilled that he'd had when he was 17 years old, when he was a young man and he was going before his father and his brothers going, you're going to all bow down to me. And, and he was making them angry to the point that they beat him up and threw him in a pit and sold him into slavery. Does this what he was envisioning in that moment? Probably not. Probably not even close to what he was envisioning, how this dream would be fulfilled. I think the reason is, is just for us to be able to look at this text as readers and go, God is drawing a line and he's reminding us that even though that dream was being fulfilled in this moment, it didn't look the way that Joseph expected it to look. And let that be a reminder to you and I that the dreams and the things that God has put into our heart and into our life and that we're looking forward to, they're not gonna happen the way that you expect them to happen. It isn't about the destination that you get to. It's about walking with God through the process to get to that place. And often I will say this, Often the ideas that you imprint and the circumstances that you imprint onto the things that God is speaking to your life and what they're going to look like and what's gonna happen, you actually constrict God's ability to move because you become more aligned with what you believe it's gonna look like than what God is actually accomplishing. And so what he's showing us in this moment is, yes, this is Joseph's dream being fulfilled, but it is not the way that he expected it to look. And in fact, it was far greater, obviously, far greater than Joseph could have ever even begun to imagine. And we need to remember that, that we don't put so much of our context onto the things that we believe God is doing that it constricts us to one pathway of saying, God, this is what it's gonna look like and this is how it's gonna be. God is often doing something entirely different than we know and he's actually doing something greater than we realize. And so Joseph sees that. He begins to see this moment of rising into a power. And so this morning, is our topic is Joseph's restoration. How did he leave this season of struggle behind so well? And I need us to recognize this, is that what he hated, the rejection, the slavery, this time in prison, things that he hated or obviously were, were, were hurting him, they actually prepared him for this moment. He would not have been ready for the influence and the power and the things that were before him if he had not been refined by the journey that he walked through to get to that place. How did he leave that season behind? How did he leave that season of struggle behind so well? It was because God had been preparing him, even if it was unbeknownst to Joseph, he was preparing him for this moment. James 1, 2 through 4. You guys are tired of me going back to this verse, but 2020, 2021, you're not going to get away from this verse. I'm going to keep coming back to it because we say it on Sunday and we believe it with all of our heart, and by Monday I'm watching all of us get sideways, myself included. Everybody take it easy. Consider it pure joy when you encounter trials of many kinds because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Allow perseverance to finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Consider it pure joy. That is not a suggestion from Scripture. So when we look around at the things that are coming against us and we want to get angry and we want to get we want to lash out, and we want to fix everybody. When we want to process the things that we're going through, the beginning point for that journey is this, that you would start in joy. 
Consider it pure joy when you face trials of many kinds. Because what is being produced in you is perseverance. And that perseverance is going to bring you to a place of maturity where you lack nothing. What happens is that we begin on the journey of perseverance. And we eject out of it and we end up caught in immaturity. Because we didn't walk with perseverance. We didn't begin the journey with joy. So yes, complain. Yes, point out the things that are wrong. Yes, do whatever it is. Fine. If you can do it after beginning in joy. Because when we start with joy, even if we can't say, oh, there's a joy in this trial. No, you're not asking you to, get, to find joy in the trial. We're not asking you even to find joy in the circumstances. We're asking you to find joy in what God is doing in the midst of it and who God is revealing himself to be to you in the midst of it. Even if you can't say, oh, I'm so glad this happened. No, don't try to, try, don't try to make something into something joyful that's never gonna be joyful. But if nothing else, you can at least say, because I walked through this, I now see a desperation in my life for you, Jesus. And I have joy in that. Because this was so hard, I had to cling to you like I never would have before. That's joy in that place. We're not trying to be revisionist history where we say, oh, I'm so glad this happened. No, no. That's simplistic thinking. The doctrine of the reality of Jesus Christ being present with you in your trial is that you find joy in him, not in what you're going through. 2 Corinthians says this, for our light and momentary affliction. Anybody feel like your affliction and the things you're walking through are light and momentary? Yeah, maybe our perspective is a little bit skewed. We're looking from earth instead of eternity, right? But I feel it, man. We get through it like by Tuesday. It doesn't feel light and momentary. It feels like, still, are we still, how long is 2020? The jokes are out there, right? It feels like we're still in March 2020. And we're a year later. Is this, is this light and momentary? But in view of eternity, I gotta stop. Gotta stop going off on tangents here. We're not gonna make it. In this week's rendition of, are we gonna make it through all of the notes? Um, for our light and momentary affliction is producing for us an eternal glory that is far beyond comparison. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. The moment that I fix my eyes and my heart on what is seen around me, I lose sight of this glory that God is producing in me, this eternal reality that he's calling me into and to exhibit. I begin to look at this momentary life and it begins to influence the way I'm responding and how I'm posturing myself and how I'm walking this out. So fix our eyes not on what is seen but on what is unseen for what is seen is temporary but what is unseen is eternal. Trials and afflictions, they produce something in us when we walk them out with God. So what is coming out of your life? What is being stored up in your life during this trial of 2020 and 2021 that we find ourselves walking through? The challenge of Scripture is that we walk out of this time refined, closer to God, closer to our authentic self, more connected with our mind and our body and our heart and our spirit, that this would be a time of refining and that God would be doing something in this journey and that we wouldn't be waiting passively, but actively participating in what God is doing. Closer to God. When people come to you, when we come, and when, when, when the, the, 
the storehouses of your heart and of your mind are thrown open after all of this is over, what is going to be found being stored up in there for the last 14 months or 12 months or whatever it is? We got to check the factories of our hearts. What is being produced out of the factories of our heart? We have to check the storehouses of our minds. What are being stored up in our minds? So that when someone goes, what you got in there? Hey, let's open up your life and see. Is it going to be just... Walmart-sized warehouses full of bitterness and frustration and anger and unforgiveness and judgment? Or are we storing up this grace and this mercy and this joy and this hope? What, is, what are the storehouses of your heart and your mind building and producing through your connection with Jesus during this time? You guys with me okay this morning? Okay. So, we've made it off of page one, everyone. This is very good news. Thank you very much. Only a few more to go. <clears throat> so trials have to produce something. I'd be, if I could get through my notes a lot quicker if I wouldn't just repeat myself so often, right? So here we go. It's just, it's just stuff that bears repeating. I feel like it's important, so I'm going to say it over and over again. Trials that produce something, trials have to produce something or they're useless detours. But with God, nothing that we do, whether in good season or in a challenging season, is ever useless. So 1 Corinthians, this is Paul again. My dear brothers and sisters, be strong and immovable. Always work enthusiastically for the Lord, for you know that nothing you do for the Lord is ever useless. Do you know this in the bottom of your heart? That even when it does, doesn't look like it's producing results, that, that nothing that you do for the Lord is being wasted. Nothing that you do for the Lord is useless. We know this from our in-depth journey through Joseph's life that he didn't handle that early success really well. We mentioned it, his attitude, his response, the things that he did, the way that he got to his brothers, the way that he had this pride of, I have this dream and my family's gonna bow down to me. He wasn't prepared to be able to walk into the level of influence that God had positioned him for in his life. And yet this journey of these trials that he walked through, that this reality that God wasn't wasting anything, nothing that Joseph was doing was going to be found useless because it was preparing him for this moment that he could walk out of the prison into the palace seamlessly. And I think this reality is, is that we could all look back over our life and say, yeah, there's dreams that God's put in my life. There's ideas that God's put in my life. There's moments that God has said, I'm, I'm gonna do this thing or you're gonna do this thing, whatever it is. And, and you wanted that to happen right then, but you were not ready. There's things you want right now. And in all of the kindness and love that I can muster to you, hear me, you're not ready. <laughs> I thought I was so ready to marry Kate at 21 years old. I was like, I am I'm going to be the best husband that has ever walked the planet. If we could hurry up and get married, we could probably start a really cool church. Um, we could change the world. We got a call in ministry. I got all this, all this stupid stuff, right? But at that age, 
I had seen, I had glimpses of what God had for us and I knew that I had heard the Lord and I knew that he had shown me things and I knew, God, because you've shown me something, you must think I'm ready for it. And that wasn't the case at all. And I look back now and I go, man, if I hadn't had those three years where we broke up and we went our separate ways and God refined me all the way to the core so that when we got back together, Kate will tell you, it wasn't like we got back together because she wasn't going to get back together with that guy. It was an entirely different guy because God had done that work. And I look back and go, oh, man, the mess, the pride, the belief that we had something outside of God, all of those things wasn't ready. There's some things that you're dreaming of. There's some things that you see. There's things that God has called you to. And you look back and God's done them and you can look back and say, if I'd had that happen when I thought I wanted, I would not have been ready. The things that we're walking through right now are preparing you for what God has for you. And you have to be stewarding this season so that when it's time, and he says, okay, out of that season, out of that prison, out of those circumstances, let's go. I'm moving you on that you are then ready to step forward and to engage in what he's asking you to do. I know for me even, there's seasons of my life where this, this maturing work that God has done has actually taken way longer than it needed to because I didn't have sight at what he was trying to do. I thought it was just a timing thing. So I was like, okay, God, we're just waiting here, I guess, right? How much longer? And he's going, no, we're not, there's no clock running. This is like baseball. It's fine, yeah. It's, it's, uh, anyway, it's totally fine. It's fine. <laughs> There's no clock that's running. You have to go through the process of why I'm holding this time open for you so that you can then move on. And I'm thinking, God, just, just pass the time so that I can move forward. And he's going, I'm not passing time. I'm looking for transformation. And if you don't have sight of the things that I'm trying to show you, where this trial, you're not persevering, you're not allowing it to bring you into maturity, you're not allowing it to bring you into completeness, where you lack nothing so that you're ready for this next season that I have for you, until you do that, I can't move you on. So it doesn't matter how much you look at the clock if you're not going to look at your heart. It doesn't matter how much you look around you at what other people are getting until you look at your life. And sight is the beginning of all healing. And when I finally had sight at what God was actually trying to accomplish and I engaged that, suddenly things began to move into forward motion of the things that I thought and knew that God had shown me. But let's go back to Joseph. It's not a sermon about Ryan. It's a sermon about Joseph. So I, I bought my, my son this silly skills ball the other day, like, a, like an eight-pound basketball. You can shoot it, and you get strong, and he's already got big, huge arms, so he's fine. He can totally shoot that three-pound ball from, from 40 feet. Um, and uh, anyway, so it has one of these stupid coaches' slogans on it. You buy the skills ball. It says on it, prepare to be ready. And I was like, Isn't, doesn't that just mean, like, be ready to be ready? It's like, prepare to be ready. This is, this is dumb. Any of you that have ever played sports, you know, like, coaches say some of the dumbest things. <laughs> but I was, I was thinking about it, though. We love coaches. <laughs> um, the coaches are awesome. They say brilliant things. 
And uh, so it says, it says prepare to be ready. And I was thinking about it. And I was like, wait a minute. This is the reality that is so often when we think we're ready and we're not, it's because we haven't prepared in the time that we did have for that moment. And it's true in sports, like, oh, I'm going to totally knock down that three-pointer. I'm, I'm, coach put me in. I'm ready. And he's like, no, you're not. But you think you are. You get in there and you can't do it because you're not preparing in the time that you do have. And while it's a cheesy slogan, this is what God was like. That's what Joseph was doing. He was always preparing his heart to be ready for the fulfillment of the dream that I had imprinted into him at 17 years old. And he never stopped saying, God, I know that you're at work somehow in this, and I am going to prepare myself to be ready so that when the prison doors open and the pathway to the palace was rolled out before him, he was ready. Are you using this, difficulty, this difficult season to get ready to be preparing yourself, to be looking at your heart, to be looking at your life, to be saying, God, I'm ready for what's ahead because I'm paying attention to what is going on in my heart and my life and my mind right now. We can't be doing this. Once I get this, I'll start doing this. It doesn't work that way. Once I get influence, I'll start living with integrity. Once I... Once my husband or wife start doing this, <laughs> I'll do this. Yeah, and they'll be so thankful for me. <laughs> Once I get finances, I will steward them better. Once I have more opportunity to have a voice, I'll steward my attitude in the secret places better. And this is how we function, but God's not functioning like that. He's saying, take care of these things when no one's looking, when you're in seasons of difficulties, when you feel like you're locked in circumstances, when things aren't going your way. Prepare to be ready. It's a good word, coach. <laughs> Don't do the thing where you just say, when this happens, I will do this. Do it now. And watch what God does with a life laid down. How you navigate this prison, how you navigate the difficulty of this last year, it's how you're going to handle the palace. How you handle the difficulty that you've been walking through is how you're going to handle the breakthrough. It's how you're going to handle that moment where everything seems to open up before you. If you have a bad attitude in this, in this struggle, guess what? When you come into a place of influence or, or, or whatever it may be, guess what's coming with you? Your attitude. Your anger, your unforgiveness, your bitterness, whatever it is, it's coming with you. Deal with it now so it doesn't travel with you as God tries to elevate you to places where he can use your life powerfully for the gospel. Here we go. We've almost made it through page two. We are ripping now. <clears throat> okay, so here's what I want you guys, here's what I don't want you to hear. I don't want you to hear this of like we're using Joseph's life as the pinnacle and you all, all of us need to be, able to, be, to be able to handle difficulty and walk into the palace like Joseph did. Because Joseph is, this is, here's a coach saying for you. If I'm here to motivate you by holding up Joseph as the perfect standard and then shaming you for not doing it as well, what I'm asking you to do is to fuel your growth with shame. And anything that begins your journey of growth is going to remain with you on the entirety of that journey. 
So the reason that we do, this is your religious detox moment for the day. The reason that we cannot ever let shame be a motivator for spiritual growth is because we will have to keep shame with us for the rest of our life in Christ. And he came to deal with shame. And so first deal with shame. So I'm not holding up Joseph and saying, shame on you for not being perfect like Joseph. Joseph nailed it for grading on the curve. No, Joseph nailed it. If you guys, how many of you read Count of Monte Cristo? Raise your hands. Okay, awesome. There's a book called Count of Monte Cristo. It's not a movie. Don't read, don't watch the movie. Read the book. But it also tells a story that's super similar to Joseph where a young man has, he's getting ready to get married to a fiance. He's getting brought in to be a captain of a ship. All these things are right before him and he gets betrayed by three, four people. And he gets thrown into prison. He's in prison for 10 or 12 years. And in prison, what he does is he has an opportunity where he meets a priest, an old prisoner who's another prisoner with him. And eventually he escapes. But while he's with that prisoner, that other prisoner, he finds out about a treasure. And he gets out of prison, he escapes from prison, and he gets his hand on that treasure. And instead of saying, God, you set me free from prison, and you have resourced me to live an entirely different life, he actually goes back to, for 12 years in prison, all he thought about was how to get revenge on the people who got him into prison. And so he spends his life, he spends his treasure and his resources fueling and funding the bitterness and unforgiveness that he harbored while he was in prison. Joseph could have done the exact same thing, but he wasn't feeding on unforgiveness. He wasn't feeding on bitterness. He was staying connected to God. And when he came out of prison, he was able to use this moment of resource and power and influence to save his family and to save people. Page three. Yep, I know you're pretty impressed right now. Nobody's watching the clock at all. Okay, so here's the three things I want you to see. How did Joseph walk out of prison into the palace so easily? One, he stayed connected to God's presence. He stayed connected to presence in all things. When, when, when he had a chance to interpret the dreams for the baker and, and for the cupbearer, he said, I don't interpret dreams, God interprets dreams. When he stood before Pharaoh, he said, I heard that you can interpret dreams. He said, I don't interpret dreams. God interprets dreams. How connected do you have to be to God in being in prison for year after year after year, being in slavery year after year after year, to still be connected to God in such a way, have such a vibrant relationship with him that you're able to interpret dreams for people that are spot on? Not like, let me go down to the library and check out a book that says, if it's this, then it means this, and I'm interpreting dreams. No, to just hear from God and say, this is what this dream means. You have to be so connected to God to be able to do that. And the challenge to us is in the midst of difficulty, how often do we just take our foot off the accelerator? We throw our life under cruise control. We get frustrated. We get angry. We get whatever. We feel like we're victims, and we, we just pull back from a relationship with God. If somebody came to you and said, hey, can you interpret a dream for me? You're like, I don't know. I mean, I'm going through a really hard time, rethinking everything. I feel like I came to Jesus and he promised that he would make my life easy and pain-free and it hasn't happened. And so I feel like Jesus has really let me down on this bargain. And so I'm just sitting here being grumpy, deconstructing my faith. See, but when we're in difficulty and we remain connected to God, 
we carry his presence and we stay connected to his presence, we're able to act in the spiritual life that he has given to us. That even if it is difficult, we can meet people in their pain. Even if it is hard, we can pray for miracles to take place. Even if we're going through hard things, we're staying connected to God. We can lead them to Jesus. We can share the gospel. We can, we can, we can pour out our lives to them because it's the connecting, connection to God's presence. But it's also Joseph stayed connected to people. It says in this passage of scripture in Genesis 46 and 7 that he actually recognized as he walked past the baker and he walked past the cupbearer, they were in prison with him and he stops and he goes, it's morning and he goes, hey guys, what's going on? What's wrong? Because he noticed that there was something off about them. So Joseph was so connected to God, but he was also connected to people around him that he would be useful in difficulty to those around him, and he would see people. How often in difficulty do we start living like this? And we see everything that is around us, but what is unseen is eternal, and what God is doing is often unseen, but if we see people, we can show up powerfully even in difficulty. And the last thing that Joseph stayed connected to was possibility. The possibility that this wasn't going to be the end of the story, that this wasn't going to be an indefinite reality that he was stuck in. And the second that we lose hope, the second that we lose that sense that there's a possibility that God is at work, even if I don't see it, we begin to shut down. We have to hold on to the possibility. It's entirely possible. It's entirely possible that God is doing something beyond what you can ask or imagine in this moment. It's entirely possible that God is doing a refining work in you, in living waters, in his church through this last year that is so much bigger than what the headlines are telling us to be upset about today. It's entirely possible that the thing that you're looking at today that seems overwhelming, that in 12 months' time, you're gonna look back at it on March 14th 2021, and you're going to go, that was not a wall. That was simply a step that God was growing me to be able to take. It's entirely possible that relationships that feel broken and fragmented, that people who have walked away from your life, it's entirely possible that in a month, in six months, in a year, that God is doing something. It's entirely possible that the places where you feel like you're imprisoned have brought you closer to the palace than you have ever been able to get. By yourself. So that's why when Joseph stood before Pharaoh, that he was ready for that restoration. All he needed, if you look at scripture, hey Joseph, Pharaoh needs you. He's like, okay, let me change my clothes. Let me take a shower. I'm ready. And he goes and he stands before Pharaoh. There wasn't a whole bunch of deferred maintenance on his life and on his spirituality on where he was at. If you've ever owned a home, I've owned a couple homes. I always feel like I take really good care of them until it's time to move to a new home. And then I realize that I haven't done any of the work that needs to be done. And so like the last three weeks before closing, I am calling every friend that I have ever met, borrowing every tool, doing all of the work. Why? Because I'm not taking care of the stuff that needs to be taken care of in the moment that it needs to be taken care of. There's not a bunch I'm not using the opportunity and the time that I have to do the things that I need to do. There's a bunch of deferred maintenance. When you're stuck in a season of difficulty, it's entirely possible as well that you might be ignoring things that God wants you to be working on and touching on and, and living in and pressing into so that when your prison door, when your difficulty, when your circumstances, when it snaps open and you're one step into that dream or into that thing, into that whatever it is becoming a reality, 
that you don't have a bunch of deferred maintenance to do on your spiritual life, on your heart, on your mind, on your action, on your behavior. Joseph didn't have that. I need a shower and a change of clothes and I'm ready to be second in command of all of Egypt because it was his heart. Listen, his prison was walls. It could have easily been a prison of anger and bitterness and unforgiveness and here's the thing. That prison would have traveled. And you might think it's your circumstances that are restricting you from the fullness of life that Jesus had called you to in John 10.10. But really, some of the things that you're inviting into your cell are what are holding you captive. And when you get out of that circumstance, you're going to find that the walls of your prison travel with you. So what we have to be as a people is say, yes, I might be restricted by circumstances, but I'm not going to be restricted by the condition of my heart and my spiritual connection with God. And when these walls open, when these circumstances change, I'm stepping right out of it, and I'm not bringing any of that with me. That's what Joseph did. This is my prayer. This is my prayer is that we wouldn't waste this long night of difficulty, of trial. And at the end of it, we wouldn't find that we haven't used it and we haven't allowed God to meet us in it. Think about the disciples as I wrap up. Think about the disciples with me. After Jesus died, they're discouraged. They don't know what to do. So what do they do? They go fishing. And in the morning, they fished all night long. They've toiled all night long. And in the morning, they come and what do they have to show for it? No fish. And Jesus comes to them and he says, hey guys, hey friends, How's the fishing? I called you to be fishers of men, and here I find you going back to a fishing trade. What have I called you to do? What do you have to show for it? Empty nets. I think a lot of us are going to stand before Jesus. He's going to come to the shore of our journey through 2020 and 2021, and he's going to say to us, hey, I see that you had a lot of opinions about stuff. Hey, I see that you were upset about a lot of things. I see that you fractured a lot of your relationships over things that don't really matter in eternity. I see that you've been doing a lot and you've been striving a lot and you've been toiling a lot. And all he's going to say is this. How's it working for you? Because you can opinion your way. You can tell me all of the reasons why we should do this or shouldn't do this or shouldn't do that. We can have all of that. But at the end of the day, the thing that matters, what's in your nets? Show people your life. Is it working? Are your nets full even after difficulty, even in struggle? Are you able to say, God, here, here's what I have to show for this season. For the disciples, he caught them with empty nets and he said, okay, guys, here's what you're going to do. Go back out there, but now do it under my instruction. And God's going to say this to you. He's got some empty nets. Here's what I want you to do. I want you to trust me, hear my voice, and I want you to go back out there. And I want you to do it again, but I want you to do it under my instruction. I want you to be able to pull fullness out of what I have for you. So God, this is our prayer. As it was we come out of this season, that we would not have wasted and toiled this night away and inconsequential things. We wouldn't have this 2020 and 2021, that we wouldn't come back to the shore having done our own thing and saying, we have nothing to show for it, our nets are empty. 
but that we would take advantage of this trial that is to teach us perseverance, which is to bring us into full maturity, that we would be ready to step into what is next, that you would make us with hearts like Joseph, that even in this prison, even in this circumstance, even in this difficulty, that we would consider it pure joy because it's what you're doing in it, and it's how we get to know you through it. It's not what's happening. It's who you are and how you're refining us to be more like you. That's what we take joy in, that this season would not be wasted. God, that you would waste nothing we have walked through. We are not waiting for this to end. We are being prepared for what is next. And we declare great things on every life within hearing of my voice because that is who you are, Father. And Jesus, that is how you show up for people. You are not finished. And those circumstances may entrap us, may it never be that our hearts get calloused and unforgiving and bitter and angry so that we don't carry prison walls with us into what's next for us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Awesome. Hey, we made it. Woo! Okay. Love you guys. Thank you for hanging out with me. Sorry if I seemed a little grumpy. I promise you I'm not. I'm excited for what's ahead. Uh, all right. Have, an, uh, have, a, have a wonderful Sunday. We love you guys. If you're with us from home, enjoy the rest of the afternoon. Oh, hey, first day of summer. Congratulations. You made it. It's when the time changes. We call it summertime. It just is a thing. All right, go with it. <laughs>